Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Steve Prominence. He's the MD at Lake Resources, an SX-listed lithium developer with assets in Argentina. We talked to him about the difficulties of last year, the recent uptick in the lithium price and their market cap, plus the 20 million that they've just raised and what they're going to be doing with it and when they're going to be able to deliver their DFS. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company itself, the topics discussed, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis as commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities such as lithium, nickel, and uh, uranium. We also have uh, training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time. And if you want to talk to a thriving group of uh, investors sharing their thoughts and ideas in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from trolling, abuse, and judgment. You can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Steve, how are you doing, sir? Great, and thank you for the opportunity to have a chat. No, great. Well, thank you for coming on board. I think, you, I think you're the last of our uh, lithium companies for our lithium week. So a uh, nice way to finish off. So appreciate you, Matt, making the time. So where in the world are you, first of all? Let's start with that. So the, myself, I'm based just outside of Sydney. Company's based out of Australia. Uh, we're listed in the US and Australia, and our projects are in South America. Fantastic. Well, do you want to tell us, just give us a little bit more insight into, you know, the assets themselves, uh, if you don't mind, and then I'll kind of dive in with some right. questions. So, as we all know, there's a lot of growth coming in electric vehicles, and that will need batteries. To feed those batteries, you need all the various different battery materials. The one we're f- focusing on is lithium. Around the world, there are two main production areas for lithium. One is hard rock out of Western Australia, and the other is out of a salty water, a brine in the north of Chile, the north of Argentina. We went to Argentina five years ago because that's where the large projects are. We have a very large property package to support that. But what we did differently starting about three years ago was how can we do this better? How can we produce a consistent high quality product that the market wants? And so we've used a method of direct extraction to produce a consistent high quality product. And we've also looked at how, as we transition to electric vehicles, the buyers of those vehicles and the electric vehicle makers want to see more sustainable products going into them. And so the method we use has a much, much smaller physical footprint, smaller energy use, smaller use of water. And so we have a better outcome across the board. Fantastic. Look, um, Steve, th- thanks for that. I appreciate it. I want to try and understand a little bit more about you and your, and your management team, because it sounds like you entered the uh, lithium space just when things were kind of falling away after the last spike. It's a difficult time to enter. The last three years has been tricky, but I'm interested in companies, management teams that can sustain during tricky times, because it suggests that they might be able to do quite well when, when there's an uptick as there has been recently. So uh, three years ago, tell me, tell me what, were you, what were you trying to do? Well, if we actually step back five years ago, this is when we established a company and we put the assets together. And we were fortunate to come to Argentina 2015, 2016. There weren't that many people looking at that stage. And we were fortunate with the team we had uh, for myself. I had worked in South America, uh, particularly during the 90s, and then off and on in many of the countries there. And so I'd worked previously in Chile, Argentina. I knew people there both technically and commercially, and we put together a very large property package. Uh, At the moment, it's around 220,000 hectares. 
550,000 acres uh, with four different projects. And the approach we took was to have one large project that a large company, you know, I used to work for Rio Tinto at one stage, um, that would be the sort of project that they would have and their off-takers would be interested in, and also a project that are next to current producers. So that was the um, approach then. Then if we look three years ago, uh, market was starting to roll over. There was initial interest in lithium. But what we wanted to do was develop a large project. We already had defined a resource in late 2018. Uh, we were trying to find a better way to do things. And why we wanted to do that was this simple thing. When I went to, um, to battery makers, to cathode makers, they said, we need a consistent quality product, uh, low impurities, and I know that the product I get today is the same as tomorrow, next week, next year. So that's why we went down this path of looking for direct lithium extraction. And then the team had put together, we had also seen how water is an issue in a hyper-arid area. So being able to do that in a, in a better way would be a better outcome. For myself, I actually come from a farming background in Australia. Uh, I know what it's like to sort of grow up in places where water is fairly... Um, well, you'd always like to have more of it. And so we tried to put that into the team. I must say the last two years have been quite challenging. And so we've actually had to issue equity to keep the company going with the intention that we would be at a phase, which we've just seen in January, February of this year, 2021, where the market would actually turn around and say, oh my goodness, we need more supply of battery materials. We need those to be better quality. And we were actually ready with a pre-feasibility study finished, show how we could actually deliver into that. Did you ever think it would come? I mean, you know, four months ago, you're a quarter, quarter of the price, but you couldn't have called the timing though, could you? So to be blunt, if we went back into the middle of COVID, that really was quite challenging because um, theoretically we had had a good year. Um, our technical partner, Lilac Solutions in, uh, in California, they had received the backing of the Bill Gates-led Breakthrough Energy Fund MIT's The Engine Fund in February uh, 2020. And we were busy raising money and we went face first into COVID. By the middle of the year, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have we got wrong here? But it was interesting that even the depths of COVID, particularly the EU was starting to say, ah, we, we want to power our way out of this. We'll need to put some stimulus into our economies. Where would we like to put it? We'd like to put that with subsidies and electric vehicles and charging stations. Uh, into new battery plants. And at some stage, you can't just keep making more cars or promising that, making more battery plants. At some stage, the penny will drop. We need the materials that go into that. Or as Robert Friedland said, you're going to build mega buildings instead of mega factories. You have to get the supply from somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we understand this, so the, the, the macro thematic, and I think that that's a, that's a well-told and well-trodden story. And, and we get that the European ecosystem is gearing up, hundreds of uh, billions of dollars being thrown um, at, at that for sure. Um, can, I, can I just come back to the, the uh, DLE component, first of all, because we've interviewed a few companies that do it. Um, it sounds like a great thing um, in terms of the ESG component, in terms of footprint, in terms of you know uh, reduction of um, damage to you know flora and fauna, etc. Um, what's so special about yours? What was what, Lilac got that others haven't? Right. So first of all, uh, Lake Resources, our company, has large assets and not just one. We have a number of them. That's the first thing. So you've got to be able to have a project that you can expand to suit demand, 
And then if you have different offtake partners that you can develop two or three of those projects. That's the first thing. Second, uh, we elected to work with Lilac and then with us because their particular method suited the current environment that we're in. So north of Chile, north of Argentina, they have large assets, but there's not much water there. And the beauty of their particular process is we return virtually all of that water back to its source. We just take the lithium out. We don't heat it or cool it, change its pH. And so there's a great uh, water outcome in that. And by just taking the lithium out, you produce that high purity product. Now it does involve reagents. It's slightly more energy intensive than evaporation, but you get a consistent product. So uh, what we've done in that three year process is in October last year, um, 2020, we demonstrated a very high purity product, 99.97% purity. Nobody had done that sort of purity at scale previously. And then in February, uh, 2021, we demonstrated how that product would work in a battery. So it's one thing to talk about these things, but you've actually got to do the test work and you've got to do it at scale. We've done that now at a pilot plant scale. We'll be looking to have a demonstration plant on site this year. It would have been last year if not for COVID. And they're the, they're the key things. They're the things that make the difference because if you're going to go and do something new and the method we use, water treatment, iron exchange, it's been around for 70 years, so it's not actually new, it's just new for lithium. But if you're going to do something new, you've got to have done the benchtop work and then the pileup testing work and then demonstrate that works in batteries. We've gone through that now. Uh, now we're in the uh, phase of uh, arranging project finance with export credit agencies, expanding the projects and actually delivering that into, uh, into the market. But tell me about the relationship because, you know, owning IP is one thing, Owning the economics is another. So what is the relationship with them around the economics? So essentially, we, we have a partnership and we'll be able to talk more about that um, uh, in the future. But essentially, we've been working together now for, for more than three years. Um, we've done the test work together. Uh, when we first met them, they were developing projects in the continental US. And I suspect that they will be probably successful with that. And we said that, great, there's going to be a business model just for that. Um, and we've seen now the US is actually focusing on strategic materials, critical materials. We said, that's fine. But the big lithium brine projects are in Chile and Argentina. And as a matter of fact, it's much easier and more straightforward to get them permitted in Argentina than Chile. It perhaps would be different if it was gold or copper, but it's lithium. And... If you want your technology to really move the dial on a big project, you need to work with a company that's both small enough, that's prepared to work with you, and big enough that the project, once you get going, can actually scale up to, to meet demand. Give me an example of that. So we did a pre-feasibility study. We released that in April 2020. And for 25 years of production, we only use slightly less than 20% of our total resource. So we can scale that up to be twice as large, and we can also scale up one of our other projects as well. And that's a key difference um, because not all companies can scale up to meet demand, well, regardless if they're brine evaporators using direct extraction or hard rock. And you need to be large enough and be able to scale up enough so that you become, um, you become significant from an end user perspective. Because despite the fact that there's going to be 
I think, more than 180 mega factories producing these lithium batteries, six of those companies control the lion's share of it. So you want to align yourself with the right part of the whole supply chain. So what does that relationship look like today? What, what is the, so today what is the we have exclusivity over large areas of Argentina, and that suits us and that suits them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done a lot of work together, and you will probably see us um, working more closely to actually develop the project. And um, uh, and it's just taken a while to work out exactly how that um economic relationship will work as you develop the project. So it's one thing for us at the moment, we're organizing intermediaries to arrange a project finance, and then you need to ensure that they are part of that whole development process. Absolutely, but as an investor, I'm Essentially the arrangement, the arrangement then continues for the life of the project. Right, but that arrangement isn't, hasn't been made yet. It's something that you're working on now. Uh, it's an arrangement that we have, uh, but we need it in a very public way to be able to release that to the market. Right, okay. Because when, when do you think you're going to be able to uh, talk to the market about that? Uh, we expect that to be quite soon. Um, and uh, certainly before we complete the definitive feasibility study, which is actually when the financiers will want to see that. Right, because I guess as an investor, what I'm trying to work out, do I invest in Lilac or do I invest in you? And at what well, point? Well, see, the great thing is yeah. you could invest in Lilac, but it's unlisted. And right. some of these other technologies are, are somewhat similar. But to be blunt, these are essentially R&D companies. You need to invest in a listed company that's done enough work to show how is this going to work. So it was great that they secured the support of some very big names, um, at the end, at the start of 2020, but it's still only part of the whole supply chain. And even us together, Lilac and Lake developing the project, we're still only part of the supply chain. So then we need to work with cathode makers, with battery makers. And some of the conversations we've had recently have actually had electric vehicle makers on the Zoom call together with battery makers because it's the EV makers that want the ESG benefit the battery makers want the consistent quality. And so you've got to fit into that entire supply chain. So all parts of it, but there's very few uh, companies that want to be vertically integrated across the entire space. What's more important is to be a strategic component of a total supply chain. And that's where that's where really we really come to, to play here because uh, it's one thing to talk about a project, our flagship project, Kachi, will be delivering more than 25,000 tonnes per annum in 2024. And 25,000 tonnes per annum is about 8% of the current market. But by the time we move forward to 2025, that becomes quite small. And that's why we've gone ahead and said, we can make this twice as big, just in our project. And so you go, okay, 50,000 tonnes. That's, that's more interesting from a battery maker's perspective, because by the time we get to 2025, that's still about 8% of the market. And then if the market expands again, we can then develop our next project, our Kalchari project. We could add another 20 or 25,000 tons out of that. Then you're starting to target being a 75,000 ton per annum producer. Now you're starting to become generally relevant in the supply chain and generally relevant to both the household EV maker 
and a household name in the battery space. Okay, you're saying, so you're saying you've got scale and you're saying there's a burgeoning growing uh, demand. The, 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 um, de- the demand supply uh, numbers suggest that lithium is going to be needed for a long time out. Right now, though, you, what you can't say, because you haven't got this agreement in place, is what your margin is necessarily going to be. But it's kind of... No, negated. we can do that. But you haven't got the agreement. No, we can do that. No. And we put that in our PFS. Um, so how we work with Lilac is fine. What we need to release the market is how we actually develop the project together, together with the project financing. Right. And uh, more of that will be coming out um, now that we're talking about how we expand our project. So here's the process. First of all, we defined a large project. That was back in 2018. Then in 2019, we defined a second project at Kalchari. Since 2018, we've been demonstrating how we can use direct extraction instead of a traditional method to develop the project. That came out in 2020 with our pre-feasibility study. Then in October 2020, we showed how this can be a far higher quality product than most of the other players in the market. Then we showed in February that also works well in a battery. And not just any battery, but somebody that's always testing batteries called Novonics out of Nova Scotia. So then we've gone on to the project financing stage. Now the expansion, we can make that twice as large. We can go to 50,000 tonnes. Then developing the next project at Kalchari, let's say, indicative that's another 20 or 25,000 tonnes. There are very few people in the market that can actually deliver that. And if I could just focus on this particular um, issue, as we look at the demand going forward, some forecasters say we need five times more lithium production in the next 10 years. Others have it at 18 times. Now, if we're looking at 18 times, that means you need a company the size of SQM, but seven of them every year for the next 10 years. So there's actually space for all of us, but to become relevant, you've got to have scale, you've got to have quality, and you've got to tick the ESG boxes. And we're one of the only companies that actually do all those things. I I totally get that. All I was trying to do was dig down and try and understand a bit more about the economics around Lilac, but I get that there's announcements coming, your public announcement coming, but you yourself understand the economic relationship or roughly what that is. So therefore you're comfortable with that and you'll let us know. I get this the this this scaling of the marketplace because we we've heard that a lot. We've also heard companies talking about being able to again, DLE companies talking about being able to supply the whole of North America's needs for the next hundred years. So there's some pretty big claims out there about supply capabilities uh, already, which kind of brings me back to what happened in 2017, where obviously we saw that spike, prices went up, and then all of a sudden, usual supply demands are oversupplying the marketplace, everything kept crashing back down. And we're seeing, obviously, significant movement over the last 12 months on not just the lithium carbonate, but the hydroxides too. So you feel that you're comfortable where you're going to fit in the marketplace? Well, we're more than comfortable. Based on the conversations we've had, and I hope to be able to have a document that we can release before our DFS comes out in the first quarter of twenty uh, of uh, next calendar year, I hope that we can at least have one of those in a formal document because we've seen the revaluation that occurs when you're working with a household name in the supply chain. So we've seen the difference and you can actually deliver the sort of product that they want. And 
Yes, there are a lot of claims, but what we saw back in 2017 was some enthusiasm, perhaps a little bit too much too early. Now what we're seeing is completely opposite. Yes, we're seeing people making some claims about how they can lift supply, but the difference is that now both the EV makers and the battery makers are starting to go, maybe we can't actually get what we need. Maybe I can't go down to the corner store and say, oh, yes, here's my truck. Just throw a little bit more lithium in, fill it up, and I'll take it down to the battery plant. Maybe it's actually not going to be like that this time. But I think I agree with that. But I think that we've had conversations with battery manufacturers and automotive manufacturers too. Um, and it's not about can we get supplies, can we get the consistency of supply? So you know, it's your earlier That's point, right. right? So I get that. So can you tell me about um, Novanix? Because there was, I think there due some results soon. That is what I was hearing. So Novonix was Novonix, great sorry. because we've been working with them since the middle of 2020. And the reason that both of our companies elected to work together is that they have done battery testing for all the large companies. Uh, they're a spin out of the Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Canada, and they have been testing batteries for all the household names you could think of, Panasonic, uh, SK, uh, Dyson, Honda, you name it. Um, then Avonics was actually the spin out of that, um, of that technical group of the Dalhousie University, headed up by Dr. Jeff Dahn. So they've done some great work. They've demonstrated that our uh, high-quality lithium product works well in a cathode and in a 622 battery, and probably better than the sorts of tier one lithium carbonate that you can purchase on market at the moment. So um, over the next few months, we'll see more of those results as we re release more of that test work at a larger scale, at a full pilot plant scale. Um, that's great, and we'll be able to say how that's also functioning with other uh, producers of cathodes in the market. Um, but all of these things take time. The difference is actually doing the work and delivering that. So we've been perhaps a little quieter in the market up until very recently because we wanted to make certain if you're doing something new that you've actually got all the support to show the how that works. And... Um, so can we yeah, expect to see anything from Novonix anytime soon? What's the timing? So Novonix, our um, results came out late February, early March. Mm. And all we're going to see is more results backing that up as we move through to uh, April, May, June. And we're just going to see that at a larger scale. Much like with um, Lilac, we demonstrated how it works at benchtop scale. And we delivered that in January 2020. But then it was October 2020. By the time we'd actually demonstrated it works just fine in a full pilot plant, um, even with a better quality product at the end. So these things take time. And they're the sorts of things that um, battery makers also want to see. But um, I think really what moves the market is when you see some of these offtake agreements signed with EV makers. And they're the ones that are pushing the ESG wagon here. They want, and the reason they're doing it is because they have to report on their CO2 footprint. They have to report on the quality of and provenance of all of the materials, not just the batteries, but uh, where the different metals go into their cars. So they're in that st uh, position where it suits them to get this sort of product. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not making the batteries. So uh, the battery maker wants to know they're going to get that consistent quality. Okay. It's pretty rare to be 
all those boxes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, DFS, you're, you're saying Q1 next year. Um, you've got 20 million bucks in the bank. You took the chance recently to raise some money like, like others did. Um, how much of that are you spending on the DFS? So the, the feasibility study itself is only a few million, but you need to then do pump tests on the wells, uh, drill a couple of additional uh, wells on site. We're putting a demonstration plant on site. We're doing uh, an environmental social impact assessment and also these other ancillary tests. So all that rolls into about 10 million, a little more than 10 million US over 12 to 18 months. So our target is by the middle of next calendar year, we will have completed all of those studies, have been um, um, using those studies to get our final approvals so that then we're ready for construction finance by the middle of next year. Now, normally in these sorts of projects, that would be a real hurdle. How does a smaller company that hasn't been in production actually source that sort of project finance? And so we were fortunate to be able to work with a group uh, out of the UK, which has actually been able to uh, produce project financing together with export credits, credit agencies in some very interesting parts of Africa. And so Argentina is perhaps not as challenging as some of those locations for development. And the other benefit you get from uh, export credit agencies is not just uh, lower price debt that has um, a long duration, but it gives this quasi-government feel that this is a project that's generally financially robust and should be going into production. And so you get a, you get a benefit, and that fits nicely with our other things around quality and uh, environmental and sustainable products. Yeah, good luck with that. Where are you with the EIA? So um, that's underway, and it'll be finished about the same time as the definitive feasibility study. Right. Okay. Okay. And just to, just to kind of lay fears, because we've got a lot of generalists moving into the mining investment who are perhaps not as au fait um, with it. So concerns around Argentina, obviously a lot of mining companies doing business in Argentina and getting funded. Um, is it a much better jurisdiction to work in these days than perhaps uh, when the last um, government was in power? Argentina is always a roller coaster. Um, their their um, economy goes up and down. It's not uh, it's not always stable. However, what we have found that the three provinces in the northwest of Argentina that have lithium brine projects have always been very supportive, regardless of the federal government. Uh, to that end, we saw out of the last I would say boom in lithium, which was back in uh, two thousand eight two thousand ten really the only uh, company of any scale that got into production was actually Oracle in Argentina. And that was under uh, what most people would say was quite a uh, socialist federal government. The current uh, federal government in Argentina is also quite supportive of the lithium space. When they first came into power, um, the first sitting of Congress in March, 2020, they were actually looking at incentives to assist the development of the lithium industry. So while it may not be perfect, I must say that it's actually conducted itself quite well. Um, some of the lithium projects that have actually had issues have actually come from uh, jurisdictions such as Quebec and Western Australia. So although Argentina is a risk, it's just a risk as a part of um, developing projects. I, I would actually go further and just say 
we're not actually involved in any way, shape or form in mining. All we do is water treatment. We just simply pump water out, we separate out the lithium and return it. So you're actually being able to participate in what's a whole new energy transition without uh, having to be involved in, in a mining sector. It's just because we're an extractive industry and other producers are miners in the lithium space, we end up in that particular sector. Okay, so we, we talked about finance a second ago with uh, export credit finance that's potentially available to you. Um, are you tempted now or at some future date to get into uh, lithium hydroxide production? Because well, obviously the CapEx requirements around that will be significantly more than you're seeing right now. Or is it a case of get, get into cash flow with uh, your lithium carbonate product first and maybe investigate that later? Well, the reason we've gone down the carbonate route is because all of the brine producers produce lithium carbonate. So uh, for my sins, I've worked in project finance in the past. Uh, and what you want to do when you've got something new is to have the new bit as small as possible in the overall flow sheet and try not to change everything else. So what we do that's completely different about direct lithium extraction when it comes to brines is you remove the big evaporation ponds. And so instead of seeing 15, 20 square kilometers of evaporation ponds, you've actually got a shed with 50 modules in it that then process the water. Um, and then everything else in the flow sheet is exactly the same. Now we have actually said to look at that, um, that we're looking at lithium hydroxide production and we're doing quite a bit more work around this expansion. So as we expand from 25,000 to 50,000 tonnes, one of the things that we're doing is actually assessing whether that next step should actually be hydroxide. Now, part of that is driven by the market and who our partners would be. And part of it is driven by having a flexible product suite. So you've got both carbonate and hydroxide, depending on who your end users are. And part of it is the fact that there are new technologies now coming on the hydroxide space. Um, but as I said before, you want to try to, to walk before you can run, particularly when you're not currently in production, reduce the things that are small. The great thing about iron exchange that we use with Lilac isn't actually new, it's just new for the lithium space. And so once you've got that going, then you can actually expand and say, right, now we're running a pilot plant on this particular method with hydroxide. We can scale that up. Now we can do the same on our next project. And so it's that step-by-step -step process. So my background uh, is, um, is first in science, um, double major in geology and chemistry, and then later in finance. And one of our key technical directors, uh, Nick Lindsay, has always been in this key part of the development around metallurgy around processing uh, around the processing of materials in projects and getting them from this stage into production so it's a, it's a great fit a good team on the ground more than 20 there and that's been um, perfect during covid and then backing that up at a board level um, but the most important thing is just to make certain that we can do all these things and then scale it up to suit right so you, you've got all the right pieces in place to date, you know, albeit whatever, you know, I know it was difficult times with the, what, what was going on in the marketplace, but you've got to where you are today, put yourself in position to succeed. Most people are looking to you and saying, well, how, where, where are you selling this to? Have you got an offtake partner? How much do you uh, give to an offtake par partner? How much do you just sell into market? Um, what's your, what's your view on how you manage sales 
marketing and therefore come back to earlier, you know, positioning yourself in the market to succeed. The key thing with lithium is unlike, say, if it was copper and we were producing some cathode on site or, or a gold bar, lithium is not like that. You have to sit in the pocket of the end user and say, what do you need now? What do you reasonably expect you're going to need in four or five years? And then what are some of the changes you've seen so that we're ready for that? It's quite a different scenario. And essentially, you sit in that pocket and then you plan things in reverse. Right. I mean, the only reason we've been working and had this focus on high quality is because that's what we were told we had to produce three and a half years back. Uh, So in exactly the same way, through this development, those partnerships, those relationships become key. Why? Because we've been spending the time to develop them with tier one battery makers and car makers. Because when times are tough, you've already got that relationship, it carries you through. Say there are some idiosyncrasies or some speed bumps in the development, they're working with you to ensure that occurs. And so those relationships are important in that maybe one of them will co-invest at the asset level, maybe another will just be an off-take partner and assist with that. But when you have a name, in the sector that assists with your project financing. And if you've got somebody working with you down at the asset level, that also ensures that you just get underway. So sometimes you do need to pay away part of your project to do so. But the the corollary is that you actually then become a key part of a developing supply chain. And I think anybody that actually gets involved in that at scale in the supply chain over the next five to seven years is going to be part of that for some time. This is where the growth is coming. And this whole sector is actually one of the real stories of this first half of this century. Um, You're not going to see compound growth of 20 to 25% for 10 years in many other sectors. I mean, for goodness sake, this whole sector is now being legislated uh, in, uh, in the EU. We've essentially seen that now for some years in China. And we'll probably start to see that under the Biden administration as well. Where's your product going to end up? Uh, so that um, that is a very good question, and we'll have more to say about that. So where all the production has been in the past has been in East Asia. And so naturally, like everybody else, most of our conversations up until the last year have been primarily there. Um, however, the EU, albeit late to the party, has decided to throw some money at it. And so they're very keen on the ESG benefits. And that positions us very well in that market. And then um, the great part about the US is when they decide to do things, they do it big time. And I think the fact that General Motors very recently came out and said all of their vehicles would be electric by 2035. People could say, oh, that's 15 years out, but this is the creator of large vehicles that consume lots of gasoline. And so for them to make that transition, I think you're going to see a major investment in the rest of the supply chain that's missing in the US, not just more more battery plants, but more cathode anode production and more supply agreements. And we're fortunate that uh, the export credit agencies in the US and in the EU are very keen to finance a project like this. They're very keen to finance things in the EU. They're they're trying to be self-sufficient, but the realities of that are are going to be difficult, I think, with with two potential lithium producers within the EU. They're going to have to find friendly 
companies, partners, countries to help them out with that. Are you leaning towards the EU because of that? Because the US is obviously, it's, it's you know got a, quite a bit of lithium production already and a long history of it. Yes, uh, but what's missing in all of these cases is the scale at the quality that also has those sustainability benefits. And that's where we tick all of those boxes. And that's where not only are we confident, but those parties are coming to little old lake resources for those reasons. Not so little anymore in the last three months. We're um, only just getting started. There's a lot of news coming down the pipe in this next 12 to 18 months. You can expect this company to be substantially bigger over the medium term. I'd be disappointed so if you didn't say that, Steve. Disappointed. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's been a fantastic romp through what you've been doing, how you've been setting it up, and potentially what you're going to be talking about soon. A lot of announcements, it seems, uh, coming up. What makes Lake Resources different is the following. We can demonstrate it that we can produce an extremely high-quality product that the market wants at scale. A second is we can do that in a more sustainable way and a more environmentally sensitive way. And there are very few companies that can do both of those things. But last of all, our projects are large. We're scaling up Karchi from 25,000 tonnes to 50,000 tonnes. We're looking at developing now our next project, Kalchari, to something similar to another 20,000 tonnes uh, with an aspirational target beyond that. There are very few companies around that can deliver all of those things. Watch this space. There's a lot coming down the pipe. And thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.